Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge the passing of Stephen Boss, better known as Twitch. Stephen Boss died on December 13th, 2022, just a few days after our recording of this episode. He is mentioned within this episode for his work on the Hip Hop Nutcracker. Without further ado, my name is Talia Smith, and you're listening to Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. Enjoy! Hello, loyal listeners. Today, I'd like to introduce or reintroduce Hannah Davis to the podcast. Hannah is a 20-something adult-ish obsessed with coffee, TikTok, and Taylor Swift. Some days she's happy, some days she's not, but every day she is learning and growing into her best self. Hey. Hey. (laughs) How you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing dandy. Now, if you recognize Hannah's voice, that may be because you've heard it before. Can you tell our loyal listeners the last episode you were on at the pod? Yes, absolutely. The last episode of the pod that I was on was the Wizard of Oz episode. Yes, our season three opener. And because I love patterns, (laughs) I... uh, where she's going to be our season four opener as well. And also because I love patterns, we're going to tell a similar but very different story. What story are we going to be talking about today? Today, I am so excited. We're going to be talking about the Nutcracker. Can you please share with me four fun facts about the story you'll be sharing with us today? Yeah, I would love to. Um, Okay, so fun fact number one. The original story is much darker than you remember. Fun fact number two. Tchaikovsky used children's toys in the original orchestration of the ballet. Fun fact number three. The Barbie Nutcracker only has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, despite it being the best. (laughs) And... um, Fun fact number four, the New York City Ballet uses 500 bobby pins and 500 pounds of paper confetti in their production of the Nutcracker. That is so many bobby pins. But also, (laughs) controversial, I also don't think that's enough. I, yeah, I mean, like, how many people are really in this production if it's only 500 bobby pins? Or are they better at ballet buns than we are could that 100% could be the case at yes (laughs) I feel like that'd be hard to believe but um (laughs) I guess it's possible yeah (laughs) so for those who are totally unfamiliar with the Nutcracker can you give us an elevator pitch introduce the story if you will sure this is a story about imagination escapism and Christmas where a little girl has a Christmas adventure. Ooh, we love a Christmas adventure. Why this story now? It may be obvious, but tell the people who may be listening months after the fact. (laughs) Well, for those of you listening months after the fact, it is currently the Christmas season uh, as of the day we are recording this. (laughs) Um, And Tally and I just so happened to have just saw it about two weeks ago. Uh, just saw the Nutcracker. And it's also, it just continues to remain relevant 
because it's a Christmas classic. It comes around this time every single year, and the music itself extends beyond the ballet. It extends beyond the Nutcracker. It's used in countless other Christmas movies and TV shows. So We saw the Kansas City Ballet's production of the Nutcracker at the Kennedy Center this year, and it was wonderful. And that's actually what spurred my want to do a Nutcracker episode specifically. I also want to point out that beyond our just seeing the Nutcracker, we have a pretty strong connection, as do many, many a lady, to to the Nutcracker. And why why would that be, Hannah? Talia and I uh, grew up doing ballet together, and every year our ballet studio would put on a production of the Nutcracker. And the way they do it, as I'm sure a lot of other ballet studios do it, is um, each age group plays a different role, is in a different number, and as you grow up, you you go through different uh, numbers in in the show. So we have played mice, we played Mother Ginger's children, uh, we've played um, uh, angels. <laughs> we were snowballs. We were snowballs. Um, we've we've played many a many a role. And maybe we can find some fun pictures to share on our Instagram. Maybe. We'll see. Your contact <laughs> photo in my phone may or may not be a picture of us from the Nutcracker. What? <laughs> we were so cute. Okay. <laughs> what a bulk of this episode is going to be is actually, we will tell the story. But the story behind the story is actually really interesting and may not be the common knowledge that the Nutcracker is. So before we give a synopsis and talk about the story itself, let's get into the background. And I'm going to start this off like we were starting the telling of the story by saying, once upon a time. Now, once upon a time, there is a man named E.T.A. Hoffman. What a name. That's a mouthful. (laughs) E.T.A. Hoffman was a German author, and he was known for writing spooky tales. But the Nutcracker, believe it or not, was not the first of his tales to be set to music. Many composers set his stories to music via opera, for example, Tales of Hoffman. And Capella Ballet is based off of the Sandman, whose story is also featured in an episode of the TV show Grimm. Have you ever seen Grimm? I have not. But I, I feel like I've seen like things about it. I remember when it came out, I was really into the show Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. And they have a similar-ish premise from what I remember. But I remember thinking... Grim seems a little too spooky for me. So <laughs> I never I never watched it. That kind of tells on himself a little bit of how the original Nutcracker was. Yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. Um yeah, the original was pretty dark. As are honestly so many fairy tales when you look at the original version, you're just like, "What?" <laughs> the Nutcracker came out in 1816. Mm-hmm. which he's a, considered a romantic author. By being a romantic, he was pro-imagination, reclaiming the innocence and nature 
stuff like that. Another romantic author that we talked about on the pod season two was Mary Shelley. Also, the fact that like so many great pieces of art, it was not appreciated in its time. No, it was not. Who was the guy responsible for pushing this into our public conscious? So that guy was Andre Dumont. He kind of inspired the creation of the ballet adaptation. If you've never heard of Andre Dumont, what else has he written? He has also written The Three Musketeers and The Tale of Monte Cristo, which even if you've never heard of Andre Dumont, I'm sure most people have heard of both of those stories. <laughs> yes. So as you said, his work inspired the ballet. Um, it also inspired more translation. When he translated The Nutcracker from German into French, more people read it. He had name recognition. Like people knew who he was. He was already famous. So more people began to read the story and become infatuated with it. He also lightened it up a little bit. Always helps to have a big name attached to something. <laughs> and then, I, I guess for us, uh, the biggest name of all comes next. We have Tchaikovsky. Oh, yes. For us, that is definitely the biggest name. That is that is who first comes to mind when I think of the Nutcracker. Me as well. For those who are unfamiliar, Tchaikovsky was one of the great composers of the late 19th century. Can you tell us a little bit about his involvement in the Nutcracker? Yeah, absolutely. So the ballet was commissioned um, by the director of Moscow's Imperial Theaters in 1891, and it premiered a week before Christmas in 1892. Good timing. That was a good marketing move on their part. The ballet was a critical failure, but the score was a critical success. The Nutcracker Suite, eight songs from the original score, kept the ballet alive for over 50 years. Which is incredible because it's known as the ballet. Like, it's hysterical how that happens. So what was the catalyst? Who was the savior of the Nutcracker Ballet? Why do we know it as only a ballet today? That would be uh, George Balanchine. George Balanchine? If uh, you're not familiar, is one of the great mid-century dancers, choreographers known for his work with the New York City Ballet, Mm -hmm. but he did so much more than that. Can you, Hannah, tell us a little bit about the ballet's journey to Balanchine's hands? Yeah, so its first U.S. uh, performance was in 1944 by the San Francisco Ballet, staged by its artistic director and Balanchine student, Willem Christensen, and the New York City Ballet first performed George Balanchine's Nutcracker in 1954. It did not begin to achieve its great popularity until after his staging became a hit in New York City, and it is still performed to this day at the New York City Ballet. All 90 dancers, 62 musicians, 40 stagehands, and more than 125 children in two alternating casts from the School of American Ballet are in the production. Which is insane. <laughs> that's... that's that's such a huge production. Like people, if if you're not involved in the arts or like theater or anything like that, that's it's just that's an insane amount of people to be involved in a production. Yeah. And especially 125 children. Oh, uh, that's my just God. a lot. Can you imagine the backstage area at that ballet? Like 
insane. That's and cr- so much. The fun. amount of dance moms. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oof. Before we tell the actual story of the Nutcracker, there's one other thing I want to note. Who's the lead in the Nutcracker? Who's what's the name of our leading lady? Uh, her name is Clara. Controversial take, Hannah mm. Davis. <laughs> so Clara is the original name written in Hoffman's story. Then when it was translated into French, the name changed to Marie. Uh, Marie is used a lot. It's used in the Balanchine version. But I don't know. To me, it was always Clara. Yeah. To me, it's always been Clara. Um, I honestly remember being surprised when I learned that there was other versions that had a different name. But to me, it's always been Clara. And I, this may be a controversial take, but I, I, I feel like in most pop culture references, it's Clara. I don't, I think that's probably why I was confused the first time I learned there was another name. Me too. And so for the sake of this episode, we will also be referring to the leading lady of the Nutcracker as Clara, because that's how we know her. If you have a problem with that, keep it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be telling the story the way we know best, our best adaptation, the adaptation we were in. There's so many. Don't come at us, okay? (laughs) You all know the story. And we'll be talking about other adaptations later, but we're going to be talking about the story as told by the production put on by Ballet Royale Institute of Maryland in the early aughts. (laughs) Are you ready for this, Hannah? Early aughts. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So will you do do me the honor by beginning our story with my favorite phrase, Once Upon a Time. So once upon a time, there's a party going on at Christmas, and all these partygoers, we'll call them party people, are heading to a Christmas party. And this Christmas party is being put on by Clara's family. You just feel the Christmas spirit coming off the stage uh, at the at the very beginning as the party people are headed to the party. <laughs> we also meet some interesting people at this party first we not only meet clara but we meet her brother fritz yes we do. who is who is fritz tell us a little bit about this guy fritz is a little bit of a troublemaker fritz uh is the younger brother of clara and fritz is a very typical younger brother i've got three of them they portrayed it accurately (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to see representation portrayed in art Um, so there are also other children at this party there are yes yes child friendly party we'd love to see that the child friendly party and they also have toys to play with right they're getting gifts at this party yes which can i just say that when we saw it recently and that part came up I was like wow that's really generous of the family to to get gifts for every child that comes the parents aren't even the only people to provide gifts for the children no no they're not because we have a new mysterious man enter the story yes 
He wears a cloak. Can you tell me about our cloaked man of the night, Uncle Drosselmeyer? He immediately has the attention of the children. And he is presenting the children with gifts. And these gifts come to life. (gasps) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Is Drosselmeyer a little witchy? One could say that. One could make that argument. (laughs) What toy does he present Clara? Is it a nice new doll? Is it a little stuffed bear? Nope. It's neither of those things. Uh, He presents Clara with a nutcracker. What? I know. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) What do the other children think of this, specifically her brother Fritz? Well, her brother Fritz is very jealous because, like I have stated previously, he is a bit of a troublemaker and he is a very typical younger brother. So he's a little jealous that uh, Clara has gotten a nutcracker and he has not. Um... So all the little girls at the party are gathered around Clara. They're they're admiring her beautiful gift. She's showing it off. She's 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 you know in no words because there's just, there's no words is talking to them about how um you know how beautiful this Nutcracker is. All the little boys at the party rally around Fritz and are are really kind of hyping him up in his jealousy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> Toxic masculinity starts at a young age. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> he takes it. He runs away with it. There is a little little miniature action scene in the form of a chase. Um, and it ends with him breaking the nutcracker and Clara getting so, so upset that he's broken her beloved gift. But yeah, no worries. It gets fixed right up and is as good as new. <laughs> Later that night... When all the guests go home and Uncle Drosselmeyer leaves with a flourish. No other way to leave, yes. <laughs> Clara decides that she was going to sneak downstairs after she was put to bed to just be with the Nutcracker doll and, and, and sleep under the Christmas tree. She's young. She's excited. And then all of a sudden, the tree on stage starts to grow. This was always my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah? Why was it your favorite? It just was so magical. Like, especially as when we were doing it and as small children, it was so cool to see. And the music is beautiful. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. It's always my favorite part. Unfortunately, though, that majesty is interrupted. Mm -hmm. Because if you're on TikTok, you very well know that we do not run the city, the, the rats, rats do. <laughs> Enter the rats. <laughs> oh yes, yes. So the uh, the 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 little mice they come running out. They are doing a little dancey dance. Talia and I played such mice, and it was fantastic. Um, yeah. And then the mouse king appears. And quite truthfully, in our adaptation of it, I do remember kind of being a little afraid of the Mouse King. He was kind of scary. He was. I remember that scene being genuinely, before I was in it, I remember thinking it was very frightening. Mm -hmm. But when we saw recently, it was funny. And I was like, I didn't. I didn't remember the Mouse King having the jokes. I know. I didn't remember this being a physical comedy piece, but I liked it. <laughs> I loved it. I really did. I was like, 
I like this take. I like the comedy. I think it's great. <laughs> but obviously, if there's a battle with a mouse king that we were kind of alluding to, that means there has to be a good guy. Oh, yeah. The good guys have to be there. Yeah. So enter the Nutcracker and his toy soldiers. Yes. The Nutcracker has come to life and his toy soldiers, uh, and it becomes a dance battle. I mean, not like a, not like a who can dance better. It is a literal battle through dance. (laughs) I always say the only battles I am interested in are battles fought through dance. Oh, yes. I think that's how we should solve every conflict i don't know why that's not how we solve every conflict if we've have we learned nothing from the nutcracker have we learned nothing from west side story seriously like dance anyway dance battle always and obviously the actual trained soldiers beat the the rats they do the rats don't run this city <laughs> the nutcrackers do <laughs> yes and Clara has been watching this whole time, just watch this battle unfold in her living room. In some productions, you know, we also see Drosselmeyer kind of lurking in the background. Who's writing this narrative? That's when we start to question, whose journey are we going to embark on? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be Clara's? Is it going to be Drosselmeyer's? Who's the protagonist? And you know what was so interesting about when we saw it? recently was he was always there and he would do Mm -hmm. little hand motions that would coincide with whatever the dancers were doing almost giving the illusion that he's controlling everything and he is he is he is controlling this um this fantastical scene that Clara is getting to experience so I don't know if we did that it was a long time ago, so I, I, and we weren't on stage the whole time, so I don't know, but I noticed it in this one, and I thought it was so cool. I was like, wow. I did. My eye just kept going to him where, with, his, with his movements. I'm like, oh, he's controlling and it. <laughs> and one of the things that he did was he turned the nutcracker, you know, like in the ballet, he literally – the dancer mm-hmm. who plays the Nutcracker has a, has a giant mascot head on mm-hmm. of a Nutcracker, mm-hmm. and then after the battle scene, what? He's been handsome all along. <laughs> yes, yes. When you're a little girl, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> the Nutcracker Prince. He's so handsome. And then watching a, thinking about the story in detail, and thinking of how okay from this point of the story, after the handsome prince wins the battle and takes Clara. Off into dreamland. Uh-huh. That's a little creepy. It is. It is an idea. I used to think, oh, this is so romantic. And now I'm like, it's kind of giving me the ick. And, but I guess you can ignore it for the sake of the story. And part of the reason why I never really thought much about it before, I think, was because our Clara was always played by a high schooler. Like, she yeah. was played by a young girl, like the one that we saw two weeks ago was the one we saw two weeks ago was played by a she looked about 12 and the nutcracker was very clearly played by an adult man but both of our claras and nutcrackers were played by high schoolers we'll touch back on this later because let's keep that in your mind like all right these two young people going on this adventure Mm -hmm. 
Obviously, because over the river and through the woods, we have an outside scene where we have the beautiful snowflakes and the snow queen and it snows on stage. That's where the 500 pounds of paper confetti come in at the New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. Just pounding everyone with snow. (laughs) In some versions, you see Drosselmeyer manipulating the snow. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're very quickly taken to Land of Sweets. This land of sweets is ruled by the Sugar Plum Princess, sometimes called the Sugar Plum Fairy, and her prince, because every princess needs a prince. That's not true. I take that back. <laughs> the immediate, like, like, wait, recall. <laughs> like, this is the 21st century. We don't need that. But, you know, it's nice in ballet. You know, it's ha- anyway. It's nice in fairy tales. <laughs> But this is also one of the most controversial aspects of the ballet. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see why. Of course, as a child, it didn't really cross my mind. Now, as an adult, uh, as we were watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this could definitely be controversial. It's controversial for those who don't know, because each candy gets a dance. Mm -hmm. However, each candy is inspired by another country Mm -hmm. and this is a really cool idea in theory Mm -hmm. think of it's a small world after all kind of vibes Mm -hmm. however let's just say it does not translate well when considering cultural appropriation and just being generally empathetic to other people in the world yes yes that's very well put yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) so i do though think it's important that we list these stances because it tells you a lot about maybe that time in history Mm -hmm. that this is what came to mind Mm -hmm. when you thought of a country or thought of a candy Mm -hmm. and also it's the entire second act it is. of the ballet. It's just a series of dances inspired by different countries slash candies. Yeah, it, it is. And I remember thinking that when when we saw it recently, wow, Clara and the Nutcracker have it pretty easy dance-wise in the second half because they're just sitting on stage. And the way they made it is it was like they were presenting each of these pieces to Clara and the Nutcracker. So they they were sitting in a special like throne thing um, mm-hmm. watching each dance happen. Yeah. So let's go down the list. So we have first the Spanish dance, which is chocolate. There's a lot you can say about that. Mm-hmm. There's so much you can say about yeah. that actually. There's mm-hmm. so much that if I if I even start talking about how that's cr- so incredibly offensive and cringeworthy, uh, I wouldn't be able to stop. So maybe I'll just attach some links as to why chocolate is not Spanish, as in from Spain mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And the next one? The next one is the Arabian dance, which is coffee. I'll be honest, that was always my favorite. I don't know, because I feel like the music is just a little too mellow for me like I like more of the upbeat stuff and 
I was never really a fan of just how kind of like, I think it's beautiful music, but I just, I was never really a fan of that number just for that reason. But I also think that it's a very specific kind of dance to be set to that. It's much slower moving. It's more, they have to be more precise, but also the core strength that it takes to do that one is insane. I I love that dance when I was younger. I remember just watching it being like, oh my gosh, this is just like the most entrancing thing. <laughs> then we have the Chinese dance for tea, which I guess makes sense. We didn't have that though. We had a ball- we had a a butterfly dance mm-hmm. for tea. Mm-hmm. And do you know what's interesting? And I'm gonna out myself what? here because sure, I had never really put it together that each dance was supposed to be a different like candy or food or something like I just never put that together because I feel like in the ones that we did it wasn't as prominent as I the one that we saw where it was very obvious that that's what was going on I agree I think our version tried to maybe tone down cultural insensitivity and 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 change some things up for example having a butterfly instead of having kind of a minstrel show yeah you know yeah. in a way uh yeah this this up this one we saw they had like the dragon and it was I very i don't think any of those dancers were asian no, it, was, it was just really it kind uncomfortable of, yeah, it made me uncomfortable the next one is the russian dance and that's candy canes the next one after that is mother ginger bonbons I didn't know we were bonbons when we were Mother Gingers. Me neither. <laughs> I thought we were like ginger snaps. I don't know what a bonbon is. I'll be honest. I think it's a dessert. Well, it definitely is a dessert. But I like this description here. She opens her skirt and eight little gingerbread children come dancing out, circling around her. There was definitely more than eight of us, but <laughs> <laughs> there was like an entire year level, grade level. Yeah. What I when I was reading up on you know, the history of this production, I read a lot of articles surrounding, you know, what makes an authentic Nutcracker production. And a lot of people have strong feelings. Mm -hmm. One of the most interesting things I read was how Mother Ginger, the character, should be over the top, burlesque, not human. Mm -hmm. And I know that in our production, when we were younger, we... We definitely had, you know, and it was an adult in a big hoop skirt. Mm-hmm. But in the show we just saw, it was a puppet. It was. And it it was huge. It was over, you know, larger than life. And I think that was really interesting um, because that was – I've seen many a, many a Nutcracker, right? But that was the first time I actually saw that representation of mother the Mother Ginger character. Right. And this guy on the internet, that that's his – that's his big thing. Mm-hmm. So I always think puppets are really like cool to see on stage because they are, it can be so impressive the way that people operate them. And I'm always impressed too. It like, especially with this one where, because it was literally, I don't even know how, I mean, I'm sure like it, the way it was operated was just so interesting to me and so impressive that I'm like, cause I, I know that they can see, but I know that their sight is definitely very limited, um, whoever's operating that. So 
just the the practice and the choreography that it must take to get that right and look as cool as it did. I'm just I'm I was blown away by. I really really enjoyed it. Uh, the next one is um, Reed Flutes, which is Marzipan. This one uh, is said to be inspired by France because it's a French pastry. Mm-hmm. But interesting that it's not called the French dance Marzipan. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's because of, you know, racism and colorism and maybe stuff like that. Well, what's, I just like read the little description next to it that says it's also known as the dance of the Merlitons, which is with its delightful scoring for flutes, a Merliton, and I could be pronouncing that wrong, is both a small, sweet French cake and a type of musical instrument that produces a coarse, reedy sound. That's interesting. Thinking smarter, not harder. Oh, yeah. We also have the Waltz of the Flowers. Mm-hmm. Also void of a- another culture. Yep. And then we have the most famous song in the whole score. Mm-hmm. The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. There are three songs in this, I'm going to say the Sugar Plum Fairy Suite. Mm-hmm. Some believe that it should begin with the duet of the Sugar Plum Fairy and her prince. Be followed up by a short interlude with a prince solo. And then finished with the grand solo of the Sugar Plum Fairy. That's what we saw together recently. I... Don't think that's what our production had. Uh, I think ours was actually, we didn't have a Sugar Plum Fairy Prince. We had the Nutcracker danced with the Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah. Which I kind of like better. I like having this, you know, in my mind, I remember thinking, okay, so the Nutcracker, by having him dance with the Sugar Plum Fairy, connects him firmly within this dream world, right? Like, he is he's been here before. This is not the first time he's been on this adventure. Mm-hmm. He is a part of this world. He's a part of this world. And this is Clara's first time exploring. This is Clara's imagination and further separates her from the reality yes. of this land. Yeah. And I think that's a really key idea in a story. And I, I, I like having the, the Nutcracker and the Sugar Plum Fairy connected. I Yes, I always liked... I liked that we did that too. I I almost wished that the one that we saw, that was the way they did it because I would have loved to see the Nutcracker perform a little bit more. I thought he was such a good dancer and I was just like, I just want to see him dance more. Um, But I did enjoy the Sugar Plum Fairy and her prince. Watching ballet is beautiful and I think, I think a lot of people don't like, like don't think about that because it's like, there's no words, there's no like, you know, dialogue or anything, but it's so sometimes people are think that they'll just get bored watching it because there's not that that type of stimulation. But mm-hmm. it's so beautiful to watch them perform because they the way that they can move their bodies, they make it look effortless. They make themselves look like they can float. I completely agree. I think we'll talk we'll touch more about how 
how beautiful this is performed as a ballet in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that is such an, an integral aspect to the telling of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to just finish off by saying in some productions, Clara doesn't wake up. Mm-hmm. In some classes, you just see her leaving, floating away with the Nutcracker Prince. Mm-hmm. In other productions, she wakes up and it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it reminds me when she wakes up and it was all a dream reminds me of the Wizard of Oz reminds yes. me of what what we talked about last season, which is okay. Why it actually fills me with so many questions. It does yeah. Why are these cultural touchstone stories for now for children? I can confidently say both of these stories are children's stories now as we know them. Mm-hmm. Both about a little girl's imagination. Mm-hmm. This is going to get to like a gendered study conversation, but like whatever. Girls are allowed to have an imagination and girls are allowed to dream and girls are allowed to have these like fantasies. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating that while boys have a lot of the other stories, girls get the imagination. Also fascinating that both of these stories were written by men. Yeah. Right? So these are men telling, like writing stories from the point of view of girls a little girl a little little girl girl. a 10 year old girl wild Mm -hmm. that is something to think about yeah um and it's it's funny too that you point out that there the difference in the different productions and how it can end um mm -hmm. because when we watched it two weeks ago and it ended I kind of like I was a little confused and then I I looked at you and I was like I thought I thought she wakes up and then it's all, and we know it's all a dream. And you were like, sometimes they do that. And sometimes they don't. And I was like, Oh, and she's like, yeah, we always did that. I'm like, yeah, like I have such a, like I thought for a second, I was like, am I crazy? Like I have such a vivid memory of transitioning back to the house and like where the tree and the tree has gone back to its normal size. And she wakes up on the couch and she's like, what's going like, and she's a dream. So yeah, I remember just being like, wait a second, it's over? <laughs> and it changes the ending so much, too. It does. Like, does she not wake up? That's we a dark We know thought. this is <laughs> – I know. It, did Jocelyn trap her in this world of his own imagination? Mm-hmm. Right? Let's go back. Let's go back. We're not in Claire's mind at all. We're in Drosselmeyer's well, you know, mind. Yeah. What does that mean? You <sighs> – you can get really twisted looking into this too deeply. You can. You can. But that's the romantics for you. Okay. All right. If somebody wanted to be introduced to the Nutcracker and actually watch the story, what are some adaptations you would recommend? 100% right off the bat, I recommend Barbie the Nutcracker. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a really good retelling of it. I think it's a great way to introduce it to kids um, who may have a shorter attention span. And so going to see a ballet may not be the best way for them to in- to learn the story just because there's no dialogue and kids can get bored easily. Um, so watching it as the Barbie version fantastic way to introduce the story to the children i agree and on that same note i would recommend the nettiest nutcracker from 1999 it's 
Okay, I remember that being my favorite when I was little. It's so irreverent. Uh, Jim Belushi, Hermesnell is in it. Phyllis Diller is in it. Deep cut. If you're looking for a more dance-heavy adaptation, what else is there? If you're looking for a more dance-heavy adaptation, then I think you it is a the Nutcracker, the 1993 Nutcracker is a New York City ballet recording. And fun fact, Macaulay Culkin is in it. So Merry Christmas. Do with that what you will. <laughs> he plays the prince. That's it's, phenomenal. <laughs> it's fascinating. And if you're looking for something more modern, I really recommend the Hip Hop Nutcracker. It just came out on Disney Plus this year, 2022. Previously, it's been a stage show. And for the last 10 years, and I haven't seen so many advertisements for it that I was like, all right, I need to watch it. We're doing a Nutcracker episode. I need to watch this adaptation. And I really enjoyed it. There are elements that I think were strange. There's a divorced parent subplot that I didn't think was totally necessary. However, I think they did a really fun job of bringing the story into a new context. It also includes a Run DMC rap interludes, and the music that is used is, uh, you know, remixed Tchaikovsky. There's so many standout scenes in that. Um, the Drosselmeyer debut scene is phenomenal, as is the uh, Battle with the Mouse King and the Nutcracker. Um, they named the lead Maria Clara, which I think is fantastic. Uh, really best of both worlds. Also, I wanted to shout out uh, Barishnikov makes an appearance. If you know who Barishnikov is. And so is Tyler Peck of the New York City Ballet, one of the greatest dancers of our generation. We have Twitch and his wife, uh, Allison Holker, who's in it. I love them so much. <laughs> I know, right? They play the parents. It's fantastic. And I also want to shout out to Comfort Fidoke. I don't know how that's how you spell her name. But she plays Drosselmeyer. And fantastic. Gives a phenomenal performance. Finally, you know, our theme of this season are uh, stories of adventure. So to you, how is this a story of adventure? Well, we're taken on an adventure with Clara through her imagination. I mean, there are literal action scenes in this um, ballet um, of which we were a part of that action scene. So shout out us. Um, and I think it's also an emotional adventure. These songs are so nostalgic and they have the power to really transport the listener to another world themselves. Um, and, you know, dreams are an adventure. I think for fellow vivid dreamers, the Nutcracker is a validating reminder of the impact that your subconscious can have on you. Yeah. Amazing. Well, this has been so much fun to revisit our classic Christmas tale with one of my closest friends in the whole wide world. And I thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I am always happy to come on the pod. Do you, would you like to plug any of your social media, your projects, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to plug my social media. <laughs> um, my Instagram is Hannah Banana, and there's it. The banana is spelled B A N A N N N A A A. So there's three N's and three A's at the end. And um, my TikTok is also Hannah Banana, but it does not have the H at the end of Hannah. So same exact thing, but just 
no H at the end of Hannah. You spelled your own name wrong. Listen, the first way it was already taken. I had to come up with something else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, go follow Hannah Banana with the various H's and the various N's and the various A's on social media. Follow us on social media. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you later. Bye. You can learn more about Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast by checking out our Instagram and TikTok at a storytelling podcast. Or you can email us at a storytelling podcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is Hopeful Start by John Bartman. And other songs featured this week include Overture Miniature by Tchaikovsky and performed by Arthur Pryor's Brand in 1912. You can find this recording on the Library of Congress's website. And Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy by Tchaikovsky, performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this recording online at www.freestockmusic.com. Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast is a production of Talia Smith and Emily Joba. The end.